This podcast is brought to you by A Copy Match. A Copy Match is a boutique matchmaking service that helps exceptional singles find meaningful connections and relationships. To learn more about our matchmaking services, online dating makeovers and takeovers, or to enroll in an upcoming group coaching intensive, go to agapimatch.com. Welcome to Ask a Matchmaker. I'm your host, Matchmaker Maria. For over a decade, I have combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, each week I bring a guest on to talk about dating and relationships while answering your questions. You can ask a question by visiting askamatchmaker.com. This week's guest is Patrick McGinnis. Patrick McGinnis is a venture capitalist and the author of Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice, and The 10% Entrepreneur, Live Your Startup Dream Without Quitting Your Day Job. Patrick coined the term FOMO, Fear of Missing Out, as well as the related term FOBO, Fear of a Better Option, in a 2004 article in the student newspaper of Harvard Business School. Since that time, FOMO has been added to the dictionary. I mean, it's really... It's very much of the American lexicon, and FOBO has become increasingly popular framework to describe choice paralysis. Patrick is also the host of the hit podcast, FOMO Sapiens. You can check that out at FOMOSapiens.com, where entrepreneurial thinkers unpack how they make decisions. He has been featured in the New York Times, Politico, Financial Times, The Guardian. I'm sure there's a few rap songs that use FOMO. (laughs) Welcome, Patrick. Thank (laughs) you for having me. It's so good to be here. Yeah, I have like so many questions. I, you know, it's funny. I, I knew you created FOMO and in researching for this podcast, I was like, wait, you were a student when this came out. I thought this would have been like some sort of, I thought this started with your Ted talk, which was not that far. That that was not far ago, but like long ago, excuse me. But I really thought it was, you were older, but no, you were a child. Tender. I was a tender, young FOMO sapiens. (laughs) And how did that come up? So the story is that I was living in New York City and I basically was here for 9-11. And after 9-11, you know, you start to question everything in the world and you start to feel like, you know, you sense your mortality for the first time in your life. And around the same time, I got into Harvard Business School, which I had never thought was on the cards for me and the cards for me. I come from a small town in Maine um, and ended up going there and it was this choice rich environment. And I realized that I was overwhelmed with choice all the time. And that as a result, I had this fear that if I didn't do everything that I wouldn't somehow make the most of the opportunity. And I started calling that FOMO short for fear of missing out. And it became a word that all my friends use as well. And then I wrote an article in our school newspaper called social theory at HBS McGinnis's two foes, all about FOMO and another term called FOBO back in 2004. And then 10 years later, it made it to the dictionary. And now, you know, it's kind of everywhere. That's incredible. And, um, I remember telling my dad about FOMO uh, when it got into the dictionary and he gave me an example of his own FOMO, like the first what, time. What he was it? I'm curious. It. So just to give a little frame of reference for my dad, right? A little backstory. My dad, he comes from this like little village in Northern Greece. His parents are survivors of the Bondian genocide of like North, you know, what is modern day Turkey, not Northern Turkey. Um, so, you know, they grew up very poor and, um, when he was 12, the youngest of, you know, seven kids, 
uh, technically nine, but the two died as children. He was pulled out of school because they're like, oh, you're not going to get educated. You're going to start working um, as a car mechanic. And that's just, you know, a very different time that he grew up in. And when after his army duties, he became um, a mechanic for ships. So he would travel the globe on a ship uh, being a ship's mechanic. And so now we're talking about like a 21 year old, right? He gets Mm -hmm. to Singapore. And if you're going to be in Singapore, now this is back in like the late seventies, you know, you're going to buy a watch. That's, that was a really great place to buy a watch, right? You're laughing. (laughs) Yeah. I love this. This is awesome. (laughs) And he's always wanted to like, I don't think he's ever had an opportunity to buy a watch and he had like saved up money. And he's like, I'm going to Singapore. I'm going to buy a watch. So he gets to Singapore and he's like, there are thousands of watches just thousands of watches. He did not know how to choose. And he ended up leaving Singapore without buying a watch. Yeah, uh, that is, well, I, I would actually argue technically that is FOBO, fear of a oh, better yeah, option. You're, you're probably right. FOMO and FOBO are deeply, but you know, it's like, I'm, I'm going to really, cause, cause you know, I want, we you, know to, I want you to differentiate I'm gonna go, the two. I'm going to go deep into go it in. for you. Um, basically FOMO fear of missing out is the idea. There's something better out there than what we have at the moment combined with a fear of being excluded from a beneficial collective experience. So your dad uh-huh. did feel some FOMO, right? Cause he's like, you know, I, um, I want to, everybody buys watches in Singapore and, you know, I also like, you know, I, I want to have this thing cause it looks so great and amazing. But the, the reason why it's FOBO and why it's a little different is FOBO or fear of a better option is the idea that when we have a series of completely acceptable choices that we can't choose just one because we're holding out for something slightly better, right. even though it may not exist. And so that's like the classic thing, in, you know, back to your world, the dating world, that's like swiping and swiping and swiping and swiping. Right. Um, and that's not even my world. That's online dating world. Yeah, but I not, experienced you don't do that. <laughs> FOBO. I experienced FOBO in two different ways. May I, may I share, oh, Patrick? And then I want you to tell me your stuff. So the first way I experienced FOBO is sometimes a man will hire us and he's like, I'm ready to get married. I'm ready. To, well, they don't say that voice, but they say, I'm ready to get married. I'm ready to have children. I'm like, great. I have the perfect woman or I have the perfect man, like depending on who it is. Right. And so sometimes introduce them. This happened. This is a real story in 2011. I'm not going to say his name, but it's a very common name. So he, um, he hires us. I introduce him to this lovely woman and he comes back. This is his first match. Like right after contract sign, he goes, Maria, she was wonderful. Oh my God. We did this. We did this. We closed down the restaurant. She now she wants to see him again. And he goes, but she's my first match. If she's so perfect, who else do you have? And yeah, look at you nodding your head. Nope. You know, is that FOBO now or FOBO? That's, that's massive FOBO, massive FOBO, because he has a very acceptable option that if you introduced him to 11 women and she was number 11, he would be ready, but he's simply incapable of making a commitment because he values option value over choice. So because of him in 2011, we started employing, and maybe this is a cure to FOBO, we started employing the secretary problem. Do you know what that is? No, tell me more. Oh my God. I'm not, I can't believe I'm going to teach you something because I I'm like excited. so much from you. So the secretary problem, you probably know this. It's, it's the economic theory that like, it's just the name of um, like an, an, an analogy. But like if a, if a person was going to hire a secretary and he has 10, she or he has 10 resumes in front of him or her, and um, you can only choose one person. But if you say no, you can't, it goes to the next boss. It does not, you can't go back to them. So the chance of you, it's a formula, the chance of you hiring 
the first or second person you meet is like less than 4% or something, but the chance of you hiring person five, six, seven is around 40%, regardless of qualifications. So now whenever I meet someone, I have to explain to them this situation. I always explain that first client that did that to us in 2011 because he ended up single after six months. And that woman introduced him to him first. She got married to the next guy we set her up with. And, and at the end of this contract, he's like, can you set me up with that first woman? I'm like, she's done. <laughs> she's in a relationship. Um, That's the problem with FOBO. People assume their options will always remain and in fact grow. But as you've just shown, options can disappear from the table and then you're left with nothing. Right. Patrick, may I ask, are you single? Are you in a relationship? Um, I am single. Okay. So now I'm going to get tons of DMs oh, boy. about you and you are more than welcome ladies to do that. Do you experience now at, you know, at your age, at where you are in life, the 14 months into the pandemic, do you feel like you experience more FOMO or FOBO? Well, FOMO nearly died of coronavirus. Uh, when we all went into quarantine uh, a year ago and we closed our doors and we watched Netflix and read books and did our starter sourdough kits, people, a lot of people reached out to me because my book about FOMO came out in May of last year, which was like terrible timing for a book about FOMO because people said, Patrick, there's no more FOMO. FOMO is dead. We now recognize that like, you know, it's wonderful to stay home and not to do too many things. I haven't felt FOMO in years. There's nothing to feel FOMO about. Um, now, yeah. I think I think going where we are today as the world reopens, actually, and especially with vaccines coming along, number one, there's vaccine FOMO. People who aren't vaccinated yet because they can't get their hands on it feel tons of FOMO, like people in Canada, people all over the world when they watch a city like New York that's springing back to life. But also it's like nowadays you really value you're like, wow, I really want to just like live. And so I think we're going to see more FOMO than ever before. And mm -hmm. I think that has helped to actually decrease FOBO because, because as a result, I think people listen, there's gonna be a period of like a rum spring where people are going to go crazy. But I think people have learned that like, you need to take action in life. You can't simply let life pass you by. And that if there's something important to you, you know, it may be gone tomorrow as we, as we saw with pandemic, right? The world changed in an instant. And so you need to embrace the world and live in it and, and be action oriented and not simply just keep swiping as it were. I can relate to everything you said, because yesterday I asked all of my Instagram followers, have you ever experienced FOMO? And every single Canadian that follows me, and I didn't realize how many Canadians followed me until yesterday, messaged me about vaccine FOMO, like over a hundred of those messages came in. And I thought mm -hmm. that was really interesting that that was, that was one thing I do struggle with FOBO at work. And I gave you one example. Another example, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, is sometimes I'll be setting up people that are, let's say over the age of 38, which I think you belong to this group. I do. I'm not trying, I'm not trying to call you. No, out right. I mean, I'm, a, I'm happy with my age. Okay. So this <laughs> is an observation. Please don't attack me. You know, this is, this is literally a professional observation, but you know, a lot of my clients are over the age of 38, I would say half of them are over 38 who would still like to get married and have kids. So between the ages of 38 and 52, right? And I noticed that sometimes, not all my clients and not even my clients, the matches. So not, you know, the people that I'm setting up with my clients, I will have a perfectly amazing person to set them up with. And sometimes they'll find any reason not to go out with them. Let's say, oh, he's balding or, oh, he, I want, I want at least six foot tall and, you know, not 5'10". And I think, and maybe, you know, maybe you could tell me because you belong to this group. I think that is FOBO in the sense that, well, I could have dated someone like this guy when I was 27, but I've held out for so long now that I'm 40 
he has to be perfect. It's kind of like when you're at, playing at the blackjack table and you're like, well, I've been here for an hour. At some point, I got to get a blackjack. That's the right. odds, you know, and I feel like that. I think that hurts dating. It does. It's it, so you cannot have FOBO unless you are living in a choice rich environment or you perceive okay. yourself to be. So it doesn't you think about it. If you were living in your father's village in northern uh -huh. Greece, I'd be okay. I have five kids now. Yeah, you would be you would have been married at much younger age because like it's like, well, you know, there's like there's like Yorgos and then there is That's like Ulysses <laughs> and then there's like I'm just being stereotypical, all the Greek people. But, you know, it's like and, you know, your aunt Vula is like you have to choose one because that's yeah. it, you know, the, yeah. one or the other. You're like, all right, fine. Um, that's how the world, when you live in a choice rich environment, which is the world we live in, which is the world where you go on Amazon and there are a thousand types of white shoelaces, you become, uh, you start to believe that choice is somehow better and that more choice is better. When in fact, we know uh, there's a great book out called The Paradox of Choice. We oh, know that more choice, make, right, is great. And, and, and that book was written before social media. I was going to ask you about The Paradox of Choice. Like what, because that, that, you know, FOBO reminds me a lot of, if you haven't read it, The Paradox of Choice, it's written by Barry Schwartz. It's one of my favorite books. Go ahead. It is a great book. And listen, Barry Schwartz and the FOBO, I had not heard of it because it came out right when I came up with FOBO. So it's very related. In fact, I cite him in my book and, you know, I think what I love about that book is it it lays out the paradox so well. It doesn't talk as much about solutions, um, so I tried to do that in mine. But he does this. He cites the study, which is a little bit. Some people have debunked this study, but it's called the Jam Study. Have you heard? You remember this one? No, I wait. I have, but please tell me. Audience. It's about so after the guy messes up with the secretary or the lady messes up with the secretary, this person goes to the supermarket and <laughs> there's a, there's a experiment they ran where they give people three types of jams to choose from, or like mm -hmm. 20 types of jams. And the people who have more choice end up less happy because they are, have a, they are more clued into what they didn't choose than what they did choose. So even though they actually make a, they, you know, they have better, you know, more options and theoretically make a quote unquote better choice, which, you know, you can study this actually people who have more options do in fact, end up with a quote unquote better outcome, but they feel so much regret about the road untaken that they are less happy with that outcome. And so that is definitely what happens. And I think the FOBO thing, it's like, it's, you know, you think about people like, yeah, they, they dated a million people. They kind of know what's out there. They still think that they can date a million people going forward. And then they also are like, you know, well, I could just wait another minute. I mean, maybe that next match is the one and the next one and the right. next one that's FOBO. Um, and people do that with dating. They do that with jobs. They do that with shop, do that with apartment hunting, like anything out there where you, where it's a choice rich environment where you can have the perception there's something better waiting for you is an area where the FOBO can, can, you know, creep in. What are ways that someone can combat FOMO or FOBO? I know we keep talking about both, but like right. there's two separate things. So it's two separate anxieties here, right. social anxieties. Yeah. Right? So let's, they, they're separate, absolutely. Right? They're totally separate okay. and they have, they have, listen, they, they have similar, they have similar um, dynamics because they're based around the perception of opportunity or choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like great example, I mean, this is a sad and horrible example, but it's very stark is I went to a Lebanese refugee camp in uh, for Syrian refugees. So I was right on the border and these are people who are stuck. They are stuck. They cannot leave. Their lives have been interrupted and tons of FOMO because they're like, I'm missing out on my life. And the perception is always like that life was perfect. You know, looking back, it's like, oh, it was so great. Maybe there were problems, but you're, you're looking back in this kind of way that you're just, you know, you, you remember my the good kids things. kids were able to go to school. I mean, I even the, I mean, to yes. rest the table, like, yes. you know, it's basic 
basics what, what up at that point. What makes us feel like, you know, the, the most basic foundation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Exactly. And so there's a lot of real stuff in there, but it could also be like, oh, I loved my neighbors. Maybe you hated your neighbor, but you look back and you're like, it's better than being stuck here. There's a lot of FOMO. It's very natural. There's no FOBO because people are not living in a choice rich environment is a choice scarcity environment. And so it's like, well, how can I have FOBO when like, literally I can't go anywhere. I'm trying to make things, you know, make, just put things together to like live my life here with the most basic scarcity. So that that's just a kind of a very stark example when it comes to solutions. So let's start with FOMO. As I mentioned, FOMO is about the perception. There's something better out there than what you're doing in the moment combined with this herd mentality. And so what you need to do is think about the perception. Perception can be deception. A lot of times we don't even think critically about that thing, that bright, shiny object. Is that thing all it's cracked up to be? And even if it is, are we following the herd or is this something that we truly want to do? And so that, you know, this is, I talk a lot in the book, but like, those are the basic things you've got to focus on when you're overcoming FOMO, because so many times, you know, we talked about perception, deception, like Instagram, you know, we all know that on Instagram, everything is like filtered to within an inch of its life. And your friend who is in a very unhappy home situation and, you know, has all kinds of problems, like post that beautiful picture. And you're like, oh my goodness, like what a perfect family. And then you're like, oh, that's right. Like, no, it's not, but it's marketing. It's personal marketing. And it's, that's, so that's, that's how you get the FOMO on the FOBO. So basically this is the idea. There's perception or something better out there than what you do, you know, than what you have in front of you, even though you've got great choices, you're like, well, there could be an even better one um, combined with the desire to maximize option value and valuing option value more than valuing actually having a choice. And so there's a couple of things you can do here. Uh, basically, and this is the TED talk, it's like high stakes, low stakes, no stakes decisions. So if something doesn't matter, waste no time on it. It's like, should I have the chicken or the fish? You know, don't think about it. Just like flip a coin. That's what I do. When it comes to more important things, what you can do, for example, dating is get some help, actually outsource the decision makings, like hire Maria. Um, because then you, because Thank the you. problem with, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I'm just, it's, it's like, it's the solution when it comes to areas where you have FOBO, the person who's injecting the drama is you. And so therefore you are the problem. You got to pull yourself out of the process and hand it to a professional who is dispassionate and who has your best interests in mind. So those are some of the things you can do. And then, you know, the other one is just like simply recognize that this is perception-based, do your diligence, figure out what's real and what's not. And then as you go through the choices, when you eliminate one, eliminate it forever, just like in the secretary. This is why it's so interesting. I wish I'd known this. Now I got to go back and rewrite that chapter. On Wikipedia, <laughs> they have a whole thing. I can't believe, I love it. We have to I rename it for theory. something that's not, that doesn't sound so like old fashioned but I you know. know. I think they might have renamed it too because of that. Hold on, let me see. Yeah. I mean, um, I, it just feels like really. I really love what you said though. Not, not just to go into professional, not even about tweeting my own home, but like I have a person on my staff who literally online dates for our clients. Like you have the option of just even doing that. You don't have to hire them as an expert. You just hire the online dating management portion where you give us your profile and your logins, and then we take care of it. And the reason why our clients are successful in this way is because of perception is gone. Like Erica doesn't have any association with the last, the, the names, the first names of your, the guy who pulled your hair in first grade, and which is why you swipe left on him or because he wore a Jets cap. Like mm. what, you know, like we come in with so many biases and perceptions on a complete stranger. We, and it's complete, it's a self-sabotaging so cycle, really. Let me see here. So secretary problem. I think, let's see. I like oh, we're doing this real optimal, time. Yeah, I mean, this is how we're supposed to do it. Optimal stopping theory. Ugh, it's not catchy. 
Months. Oh, there we go. The Sultan's dowry problem. It gets worse. Oh, that is super sexist. Marriage feels- problem. Fussy suitor problem. Google game with G-O-O-G-O-L game. And the best choice problem. You know what? So everything that you're saying, have you ever read Dan Airely's book, Predictably Irrational? No. Okay. So that book, I feel like changed my life because it be- it's like kind of like Phobo in solution like mm. in a solution way and, I, and what i mean by that is like okay have you ever been to graceland no i have okay. not actually it's, it's amazing if you this is a thing if you are experiencing foam when you don't know what to do this summer head on over to, to memphis it's a really great experience the food is incredible beale street's incredible but graceland mansion is amazing and when you go there they sell tickets and they only give you three options the first, I don't now don't hold me to this on terms of pricing. Okay. So I'm just going to round for now. So the first price is $10 to enter just the mansion, just the house. The second option is for $12. So $2 more, you have access to the mansion and then the seven museums attached to it. Cause each there's a museum, there's a car museum, there's a Las Vegas museum, there's a trophy museum. It's like a, uh, it's like a whole thing. Right. And then the third one is like the all access pass for $35. And I'm going to venture to guess that 90% of the people going are going to get the, the $12 packet, even though it's only totally. $2 more, who the hell would pay $10? Totally. It's, but anyway, they cover tax this way. I think, I think this is just a way of like on their end. And then you get the ultimate fans who will go for that $35 thing. Have you read Robert Cialdini's influence? You know, that book? No. Oh, you gotta read it. Maybe the whole re- I'm going to just make a reading list at the end of the no, Cause that, that he talks about like, that's what he, that's kind of his. The, the, he's like the father, the father of like modern day online marketing. I mean, even though he yeah. wrote it before the internet, it's like 84. And I just interviewed him myself actually for my pod. And it's like, he, he's a master of like how to anchor the price and all, all sorts of stuff. Didn't he make the pricing for satellite TV? Probably. He did it all. I know exactly what you're talking about because the way satellite TV, if you're, you know how like Dish Network, they like sell the packages. Yes. And it's just like a complete asinine, the marketing, but it's like, it's like really results driven. Yes. Um, and I yes. think he also did The Economist too, right? How The Economist. Uh, that is exactly right. Yeah. That is in the book actually. And, and, oh, okay. and so there are all these lessons that if you're an online marketer or you're, you have a service you can, you can draw from and it's, there are these seven levers of influence that he uses. And so, yeah, that's very much like in the same world um, with all that sort of stuff. It's incredible. So in Dan Airely's book, he talks about how like, essentially why would a rich man, let's, I'm just going to use, this is not an example in his book and I wish it was, but it's like the same concept. Like why would a wealthy man pay Maria, you know, a buttload of money to help him find, you know, this many matches over this period of time. And then the same evening spend a 20% coupon off at Walgreens because that's completely irrational behavior. And yeah, so yeah. like, I love, uh, I think that's, I, now we're just getting into behavioral economics and I'm really appreciative of this particular episode, but, um, <laughs> so, so then in your life, where do you see it? Like, are you online dating? Yeah, I'm on a few apps. Um, and do you, have you ever been interviewed by the Bumble team to talk about FOMO? Cause I feel like that's what they're trying to do out with. Like, I think on Bumble, correct me if I'm wrong. If you swipe, you have 24 hours or something to like message. Someone. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But the, it's on the woman. So like the man, I, I, you know, the man has no, you're just like, I hope she writes me. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's all on the woman with Raya. You get 10 days. Tell people what Raya is because not everyone uh, yeah, is. Yeah. Raya, I, well, Raya is uh, this, it's a, it's a dating app that is, you have to like sort of apply 
um, I don't know, I'd call it like, it's a little bit like the Soho house of dating apps a little bit. Yeah. Um, like a networking app. Yeah. It's too. got really, um, really cool people on it. I thought, I think it's, it's really nice. Some celebrities um, and, uh, I have not seen any celebrities. I, mm. I saw one CEO of who she is. I was like, woo, you know, like, wow, she's really impressive. Um, she's not, <laughs> if you know who you are, not? you have not <laughs> responded to me and I'm oh, hurting okay. inside. <laughs> hurting inside um km but uh <laughs> but yeah it's it's so what they do is when you match with somebody if you both opt in then you have 10 days to respond and so and then it goes away okay. and i think that's great i think you know listen my whole mindset on this stuff has shifted because of the pandemic i'm swiping on women who before i might have been like i'm not sure i'm definitely like i'll be like you know what like what like, why not i don't know i'm trying to think of a specific example i'm just being more open minded about like trying to be like okay you know in terms of age or in terms of profession or in terms of like where the person lives what is the let's say location region that you look at now like were you only before the pandemic were you only dating people who lived in manhattan uh no i do brooklyn as well but like now i'm like oh you know well connecticut like it's not too far you know i would be more open-minded to that um i'm not doing like berlin like raya always gives you like women in berlin i'm like i'm like wow like you know that like Heidi looks beautiful, but like, I'm not going there anytime soon. Like, so that just doesn't feel like that to me is more about being practical than being like sort of, but right. Um, cause I don't go to Berlin. I mean, I've been one time in, in my entire life, the chances of me making that into like, and given like travel restrictions, like, I don't know. That being said, I know somebody who just met somebody on an app and they flew to Dubai and one of the people lived in Germany and the other person lived in the States and they met in Dubai. And so they had a good time. So I guess could work out. I feel like I want to believe, I've been saying this for a year now, I want to believe that height and age have become a lot more flexible for many people. Yeah. And, and by the way, I, I, as somebody who's five foot seven, okay, like, and has been told many times by women, like, oh, I like a guy tall. Like, there's like, they, you know, they put like things that I like, you know, tall. It's always the first one, tall, which is just, I'm like, you know, listen, do you know here's how thing. new that is. First of all, do you have any, Patrick, like you, Patrick, do you know how new it is for a woman to speak like this? Uh, no. I mean, I, people weren't that tall in the old days, except for in well, the Netherlands. You're, oh God. Yeah. You're, oh my God. Every time you know what I mean? Like I'm Quebec. Like, I, I'd be I tall in like, like, Quebec. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> well, you'd be tall in Peru. Um, I so, am tall in Peru. It's true. I love Peru for that Peru, reason. You've been there. Anyway, height is the thing that I always try to explain this to, to women sometimes that as someone who is tall and I, when I was single, I would date five foot nine and above. So I had no problem dating like two inches below to your point right here now, right? Height is a new thing. And by new, I mean, it did not, people did not talk like this before dating websites gave you the option to start filtering people by height. So mm -hmm. I said this, I say this is an example to women who do our um, group coaching intensive. I said, if you met a man, uh, you know, or a woman, if you met them at a friend's, and this is very much a heterosexual problem, but if a woman met a man at a friend's wedding, mm. so already you have mutual friends. So you might already have shared values because you have a mutual friend, right? So you're vibing, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're spiritually connecting, you know, over a few shots at the open bar, if you're laughing, if you're feeling good, if you're vibing, you're not, you don't care about his height. You don't, and he could still be two inches taller than you. Like the people that give me the most grief when it comes to height are people that are shorter 
that could wear really tall heels and still be at a height. I think height has become a little bit more flexible in the pandemic because who gives a shit? Like toilet paper is not at the top thing anyway. (laughs) I have a comment I want to make on this and I'm going to make it, and this is important. And I want it to be heard on this. When you are shorter, assuming you're proportional, you just take up less room. And therefore say you're like smart and successful on a proportional basis, you need require less resources to be doing all the things you do. So it's better for the environment. Oh my God. And more efficient. This is what you that's what I to be heard. Okay. I just want that to be known because I, and also whenever you travel, every seat is business class. Every seat is business class. Every seat is, I, I, yeah, for me, business class is business class. (laughs) <laughs> I'm just saying, no, but like I, I just five, seven, I, I always made this joke to, I had this really tall friend who like, we had similar jobs, similar income, similar everything. And I was like, you know, you're, you're like taking up so much more space to do what I do. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. It's really tough. My, my kid is 11 months old and she wears 18 month clothing and I'm, I'm flying through the, the clothing stuff with her right now. She is more expensive. <laughs> yeah. It's a, listen, we, we, we we're not going to blame her for that. She's perfect, I mean, but you know, Greta Thunberg might have an issue. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the one thing. The second thing I think that people have become a little more flexible too, is with, um, look, religion, I think has become a lot like the, the more less religious as a country we're becoming the more flexible. I I get more people that are agnostic than ever. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I think the religion thing, I mean, this is unscientific, but I would just say based on what I observe is that being sort of very uh, I, I'm going to be careful. I want to tread very carefully mm-hmm. being inflexible about religion or saying like, I, this person has to be this way or that way is much easier to do when you've not lived outside of your community and, you know, mm-hmm. lived in a place where there's tons of different other people. And you're like, well, we may have different faith traditions, but like we have so many other things in common that like we can work through that. So right. it's, it's a secularization of society, but I think it's like, also like, you know, it's like the more that you are exposed to things that aren't like you, whether it's religion or race or whatever, the more you start to realize like, oh, actually we have tons of other things in common and I can see myself with this person. And so to go to that now with the FOBO, um, I think I've said this in a previous episode, this might've been episode one, when it talked about, when we were talking about like online dating parameters Mm -hmm. that people use to like limit themselves. Now this was a year ago, (laughs) okay? But I have noticed that sometimes people, like let's say you're a Jewish woman, you only wanna date Jewish men, you know, whatever. And that's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do, you know, mm. whatever. But here's where I take issue. I take issue is when you finally get into a relationship with a guy who is those param- who has those search criteria that you were looking for. And then you decide, even though it's a bad relationship, and I've seen this happen so many times with friends, you s- decide to stay with a person, even though they're bad for you, even though you can logically say, you know, you shouldn't be together, but where else am I going to find a tall Jewish man or a tall Greek man or a tall, you know, Gujarati man, or, you know, like pick your poison here on terms of like subculture, right. In America. And so, you know, I always tell, I like to tell sometimes women, like, just because he shares the same faith as you does not make him a good boyfriend, a good husband, a good father. Like there's other things you have to look at. And let me tell you something, who is it for? If it's your parents, your parents might still be unhappy with someone that you bring home that shares the same religion as you. I don't think my, I don't think my in-laws are still over me. And I, and I share the exact same faith and culture as my husband. <laughs> they call me Xeni, foreign woman. <laughs> Cause I'm not That's from so Crete. Funny. Cause I'm not from Crete. I'm not from the specific Island. My husband is from. Yikes. I <laughs> yeah. So I would love to learn more about 
I, I was reading a little bit more about information asymmetry. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely. It's the, it, what's what happens when there are two parties in a negotiation, for example, or, you know, in some sort of other thing where there's an exchange of things and one side has certain bits of information, another side has certain information. Classic example I learned in college um, is when it was this, I learned it in microeconomics. It's like, if somebody's selling you a car, a used car, the seller knows all the flaws of the car, the buyer does not. And so therefore the seller benefits from the information asymmetry because they can sell you a lemon and you won't even know it. And how does that relate to, oh, I guess that's everyone knowing their own drama and how they're selling you online. Yeah. I mean, that comes back to, you know, in terms of, uh, I don't know if it's, I don't, did I, t- I don't know if I talked about this in the FOMO FOMO framework. Did I, I'm trying to think if I, if it, if it worked into it, I may have spoken to it at some point, but I think in any transaction uh, there is, you know, the information. Oh yeah. I know what you're getting at now. It's like, you know, it's, it's, for example, you're, you know, you're buying something on Craigslist, right. And it looks really great in the pictures. Then you show up and it's terrible, or you're looking at an apartment or dating. Like you don't know if that profile picture or even that profile corresponds at all to reality. The person Thank who you. made it does. Thank you. So I'm glad you're saying this because one of the most popular questions I'm receiving the last month, and now that people are getting vaccinated and maybe they're meeting in person, they're asking me, Hey, the profile doesn't say if he's looking for something casual for in a relationship, should I still meet him? Or should I ask him, what are you looking for? Mm. And I say my, and I would love to hear your advice, but here's my advice. If it says I'm only looking for a casual relationship, like if he's actually listed that, believe him. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't have it listed, or if it says I'm looking for a relationship, meet him. Even if it's not listed, meet him. Because without the context of a first date, how will you know if you are opting into a lemon? <laughs> Or not. And just because he said, oh, I would like to be in a serious relationship does not mean he wants to be a serious relationship with you. He still has to meet you. Uh, That's a big, valuable piece of advice there, which is like, don't negotiate against yourself. You know, so many, I think when we, in online dating, especially it's like so much happens inside your own head. You're like looking at the profile and you're filling in all the blanks with your own insecurities and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it is so, and I've seen this, like you go on a date with somebody and they're so stressed out about that stuff that like minute seven, they're like, it's nice to meet you. Where are you from? They're like, okay, so like, are you, do you want a serious relationship or not? And you're like, whoa, like I literally just arrived here. I haven't taken off my jacket and you're, you're going there. Like, let's just even like, like not with you, (laughs) you know, it's like, calm down. (laughs) How do you let women know if you're looking for a serious relationship? Uh, I put it in the app. I mean, I make it pretty clear, but I also feel like that first date and maybe I'd, I'd love your thoughts on this, but it's like that first date is like, you just show up and make sure the person like, isn't crazy. (laughs) And, and it's like, you, you, you know, it's like, is the person attractive to me? You know, is the person friendly? Um, yeah, I think we all have at this point. I mean, you know, it's, you know, I've been on updates in my life to have a couple that were crazy, but no, generally not. But like, I had one date I went on where the woman was like, it was like a completely different person. It was like, the pictures were from 10 years before she ended up getting very drunk, um, and belligerent. (laughs) It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> not the, I tried to escape. I was like, check, please. She's like, one more, please. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. So, so I mean, you we put all put it in the app, but the, like you just said, oh, you're yeah. just meeting that you're, you're first for you. The purpose of first date is, are you real? Yeah. I listen, I want to be as transparent as possible. I want to eliminate the information asymmetry because the transaction costs are lower. And if I, now I'm speaking very clinically, I don't really, I don't talk. No, I love it. Please. No one ever does this. Go. I'm going to do that. It It lowers transaction costs and therefore the chance of a successful transaction are higher. And I think that like, 
you know, if you know what you want, you should do that. If, you, if you're open-minded, you know, or, or you want something else then put that. But I, I think like, there's nothing worse. Like it's kind of like, you know, those dating profiles where every picture is in a group and with sunglasses. Oh. It's like, well, then it's like, you're hiding something. Okay. Like, because you're not just showing me who you are. And I think it's right. the same way with this. You should just put it out there. And um, then your chances of matching, then like the, the people that you choose and you match with and the chances of having a positive first impression or in a first date are better. Do you think that different responsibilities, let's say in your life, if you're dating, I don't know if you're open, but if you're dating like single moms where they have other responsibilities at home waiting for them, do you think that their phone, their perception of FOMO would be different than yours based on responsibilities, not based on. Yeah. I actually think it's really, I think I really respect somebody who discloses like those kinds of responsibilities or, or, you know, family members like in, Mm -hmm. in the profile, just because, you know, that is like, you know, that, that, is an important part of their life. And like, some people are just not going to be there for that. You know what I mean? They're like, Oh, it's not, I'm not ready or whatever. So I think that that, what, what, where you get into a problem is when you, you, you use the information tree to get to date seven. And then you're like, Oh, by the way, you know, I just got out of prison for, you know, murdering somebody, but like, we've had an awesome seven dates and I have nine children and I have three dogs. Do you want to go out again? <laughs> so I, I think it's the, the real question comes down to, I think, you know, and this is, I'm sure you deal with this is like, th- th- I think it gets a lot trickier when it's something like, um, you know, STDs. physical conditions oh STDs for sure, or other sort of health ailments that are like things that like, like you're like, yeah. well, I, I have this sort of like long-term condition, you know, it's Lyme it's, disease. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, how do you bring, and I don't know the answer to that. And so like, I think it's gotta be, you have to sort of do um, be respectful and, and, you know, don't wait until the day before the wedding, but I don't think you necessarily need to bring that out on date one, to be honest with you. I don't think, you know, stuff like that, or like you just said, physical ailments or, you know, what would be a lifestyle shift too. I don't think that should come out on a first date. I think the purpose of a first date is to enjoy yourself and go on a second date. That's it. That's literally the only thing that a first date's supposed to be have fun. And then on the second date, you know, you're reaffirming that you had fun on the first date. Um, hopefully you're continuing that same vibe that you had and should you get to past date three, yeah, then you can start kind of talking about more specific about, you know, if you're, if you're suffering or if you're living with something that, you know, would have, would, would influence your lifestyle, so to speak. Um, now if you have kids, I think you need to know that the other person has kids before you even go on the date. I, don't I agree. Think it's Cause that's a third party. They're affected. I wish single parents knew that more people want to date them than not. I think where the the problem happens is since a lot of half of my clients are single parents, right? I have people who only are single parents who only want to date other single parents. I think Mm -hmm. where it gets tricky is when a single parent says, well, they can't have any kids and not want to have any kids because I already have kids. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, the right person for you who is going to like your kids, they might have kids. Or they might want kids. Yeah. I know I mean, you're making this weird face, but I hear this like so No, often. I'm thinking of the Brady Bunch. I'm just like, who doesn't want to live in the Brady Bunch? Yeah. I don't know. I think like it's, it'd be like if I said like, you know, I was like, well, I'm five seven, which is short. So like, I will not date somebody who's five foot one. Like, ugh, like that's ridiculous. Like, who am I to like, you know, that, that woman's very efficient as I mentioned before. Okay. So there's a woman that you and I know. Okay. Not yeah. personally, maybe you know her personally. I don't know. I would love to know her personally. So this is me saying it out into the universe. Um, but she married someone that was um, a struggling actor at the time. 
Now she was, she's Greek Orthodox like me. She's Greek. She was raised, you mm-hmm. know, subculture, Greek American. Right. So he was not Greek American. I believe he was raised Mormon and he was a single dad, not a struggling actor, but like, you know, a working actor, mm. not had yet made it big, big. That's the pun right there. So <laughs> what I'm talking about is Rita Wilson. Oh, and this That's like funny. single woman, you know, marries this like single dad who is not of faith, who's kind of dorky at the time, especially. Right. And then he makes it big. And I'm just like, you know, sometimes I'm thinking like you could be Rita Wilson. And instead we say stuff like, oh, I'm 27. He can't be a single dad or, oh, I'm five, four. He has to be at least six feet tall or, oh, I don't like actors. He needs to have a white collar profession that makes this amount of money. money." And I'm like, holy God, like go on a date. That's all it is. You know, you're putting a lot onto this plate that might not, it might not even, he might not want you, you know, like you're, you don't know yet. And uh, I know that's me being optimistic and hopeful. I don't know what well, that I, me, I think but. there's a movie that everybody should watch. And if you haven't exactly. seen it, then I'm giving you a gift right now, which is I Heart Huckabees. Do you know this movie? I have heard of it. I have not seen it and I will see it tonight. <laughs> it's a movie that I watched when I was going through like this difficult time in my life where I was very unhappy professionally and therefore personally. And I was really lost. Like this was like early 2000s in New York. The theme of the movie is, is in essence, is that most of human drama is self-created. And you have to watch it because it's just really good. But the point is that like all the stuff you were listing, all of those constraints are completely self-fabricated constraints that you've put on yourself right. based on what, you know, some of them are like a little bit more, I can buy them a little bit more, but like, oh, it's cool if he's five ten, but if he's five, nine and a half, no, like it, that is you are your own worst enemy. And so I think one of the things we should all learn from the pandemic when we were for the first time for many of us living in a very scarce environment is like be a little more what matters. Yeah. What matters. I could tell you right now, like, um, I don't know if you know this, but April is C-section awareness month. Okay. I'm, I'm probably going to post some stuff about my own two C-sections. And mm-hmm. let me tell you, when I was getting that shit done, at no point did I think about my husband's balding head or how tall he is. Yeah. Right. I was just like, oh God, are you here? Like, are you going to hold my hand? Are we good? Like, you know that, you know, you have like a, a, you're a team, you know? Totally. So since we're mentioning books, one last book I want to mention here. So I don't know if you ever read, but have you ever read Helen Fisher's Why Him, Why Her? No. So you mentioned in your own, in your own stuff about FOMO sapiens and how you envision that like the early humans you believe that they were experiencing FOMO. I don't want to put words in your mouth. You do your No, thing. that's exactly right. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> and it, it reminded me of Helen Fisher's book, Why Him, Why Her? Because she talks about explorers or people that who have a primary chemical component of dopamine and how in, you know, in early humans, those are the people that were more likely to leave, let's say the, the tribe or the area. And Mm -hmm. it's because of them. Now they have the highest risk, especially back then of death because they were participating in more riskier behavior, but it's because of them that homo sapiens would become stronger to let's say beat out the Neanderthals. But like, I think it's just interesting to see how like your book and her book kind of tie into each other, because do you think that people who experience the most FOMO are people, do you know clinically if they have more dopamine or adrenaline? I don't know that. And, you know, there's been a ton of work done by sort of like clinical psychologists, but nothing that I've seen on the chemical level. But when you think about a book like Sapiens, right? Have you read Sex at Dawn? No. 
Okay, that's a good one too. Oh my god. Okay, good. This will be the name of the episode. Your your book reading list for the summer. (laughs) I know. Well, I you know I I read a lot. I'm and you do too. Um. So when I read that, I think I read that after I wrote. I read it after I wrote FOMO Sapiens, and my FOMO Sapiens research came from. The stuff that I wrote about there came from my, uh, I, I, I talked to a, um, I interviewed a clinical biologist who focuses on neurology. And so he was okay. the one who like unpacked this all for me and explained the sort of like the biological roots of our FOMO that the earliest humans were keenly aware of what they needed and did not have to survive in the Darwinistic, you know, struggle. Right. And then, so I wrote about that based on the sort of that uh, he turned me onto that and I did some research on that. And then when I read Sapiens, it was all in there too. It's just like, you know, these people were nomadic. They yeah. knew that like, if they didn't have good information, they, and they didn't move to a place where they would have access to all the things we knew, like the Malth- and the Malthus and, you know, the basic sort of stuff, Maslow, excuse me, Maslow, um, they would die. And so therefore, you know, we have in our DNA, this instinct that we are comparing ourselves with others all the time and saying like, Hmm. what are they doing that's better than what I'm doing? And if, how do I get myself some of that? So it is, it is very much part of the human experience. The difference of course, is that now, um, and by the way, it's also animal experience. Think about all the animals that, you know, go in herds, right? If you ever been in Serengeti and seen the wildebeest, which are, you know, they're all going together to get, you know, to stay protected. It's that herd mentality, but Nowadays, you know, we live in a different kind of world. Those things, we, we, don't, we don't need to do those things in the same way to survive. And so therefore we should recognize that and try to live more intentionally. I love that. And, and can you give us a few tips of how to live more intentionally, more in our own great, you know, not only intentionally, but to be grateful of our own reality? Yeah. I mean, it's such a good way you put that because the story that I told earlier about the, the Syrian refugee camp, when I got back to the hotel, I have a super... I don't know. I just felt like I'd been through emotionally like a roller coaster and I passed out for several hours and I woke up in my air conditioned hotel room and I was like, God, I am so grateful. I, you know, I don't, I'm not grateful enough. I don't Mm. think about, you know, and I think the antidote many times for all of this stuff, FOMO and FOBO is, you know, one big part of it is like recognizing how lucky you are, you know, to have certain things in your life. And so, you know, overcoming FOMO and FOBO is a combination of finding the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. So choose what you want, miss out on the rest and choosing what you want is, you know, it's the stuff we talked about earlier around perception and around herd and, you know, sort of those outsourcing. And those are the very tactical things, the missing out part, missing out on the rest, you know, that comes down to being grateful for what you have. Um, And so like every day, you know, I do, I meditate every day and I think of three things that I'm grateful for as part of that. And it puts me in a good place. It's also about recognizing that there are all these things in our world that conspire to take us off the path. Um, cell phones, social media, you know, television, all these distractions that try to dangle the bright, shiny objects in front of us and keep us from appreciating what we do have and what we do want. And so you got to limit your exposure to those things, you know, cut down your, on your screen time, keep your phone out of your bedroom, like all these little things, um, they accumulate into very powerful Uh, liberty and freedom from the stimuli, which are pulling you away from what you want to be. Is there anything you've cut out recently to? I mean, mean, I'm always like, it's, it is a, it is a, listen, I mean, it's the first homo sapiens. Like I'm well aware that I am patient zero uh, in the epidemic. And so I, you know, I have a couple of things that I got. I got this awesome, Ariana Huffington gave me this bed for my phone that I keep in my 
my other room. So I, you know, my phone like sleeps on a little bed. Um, I have decided not to partake in TikTok and the, you know, I'm just not doing it. Like I don't need, and, and basically I'm, I've also been quite, um, quite like I got a little sucked into clubhouse and then was like, why? And so I'm not doing that. So yeah, it's that kind of stuff, like just about, you know, being aware of that. Yeah. That's one of the things that I cut out recently. Um, I noticed that clubhouse, the last time I spoke to you was when clubhouse had come out, like, mm-hmm. you know, to the masses and, uh, I was really unhappy <laughs> and, uh, I just turned off the notifications and I became infinitely happier the last three weeks out of sign out of mind because you, yeah. you go on there and there's all these people who are like, Oh, I'm going to make all this money and I'm going to be famous. And this is like, theoretically you could go, you could have joined a year ago. And then if, if a certain number of things happen and where you spend all your time on it, you could have 500,000 followers and be the most famous clubhouse, you know, relationship expert. But the chances of that really happening, who knows? And frankly, could you even monetize that? Would it make you happy? Or would you just be like, you know, a, a sort of stuck there, you know, sort of a slave to using it all the time because you have to, to, to be successful. And it's just not, I think we have to be intentional about like what makes us happy yeah. and what we think is going to be successful. Well, I want to say that I am really grateful for you today. I think everything you said was golden. We came up with so many books. I'm going to probably be its own Instagram post where I'll just list all the Yay. books we talked about in like <laughs> one episode. And I just want to say that I really appreciate you. I've learned a lot. Um, anytime I hear you speak, I learn a lot. And I'm, I was really excited to have you on today. So thank you so much for coming to Ask a Matchmaker. Well, thank you for having me. And you know, it's funny because this morning my DM started filling up with your posts about FOMO. And so I was reading through Wait, your po- your DMs, my the stories. People were following the story. They were sending me the stories to my DM, some people we know in common. Oh, really? Um, and so I was reading them and I was like, you know, like you said about Canada and the vaccines. I mean, it was super interesting to see what people had to say and that they were connecting with this topic, which is for me, like a topic I think about a lot. So I appreciated that folks took the time to write and share. And, um, and I hope that this is helpful, especially for you. So I just wrote a piece on vaccine FOMO and insider, um, that people might find interesting. Um, great. Yeah. I'll include that in the episode notes. Where can people find you? Where can I direct people to? This is where the FOBO will come in because they have too many places, but let me try to keep it really tight. Okay. So I know your crowd is an Instagram crowd. So yeah. you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis. And then you can go to my website, uh, patrickmcginnis.com. And, and then the, 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 the podcast is called FOMO Sapiens. And we've had all kinds of amazing guests and uh, Robert That's Cialdini. That's available on, on any All app. the apps. Yeah. Robert Cialdini is coming on in a couple of weeks, in fact. Um, so we just had Andrew Yang on, all kinds of good people. So wow. um, you guys might enjoy that as well. And yeah, just, and by the way, if you write me on the, if you send me a, a direct message on Instagram, I will read it and I will write you back, I promise. Thank you for listening to Ask a Matchmaker. Each week, I feel so grateful to receive your questions and provide answers. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, rate, and if you want, you can review. Have a dating or relationship question, visit askamatchmaker.com to submit your 60-second audio question. You can also follow me on Instagram at matchmakermaria for more dating and relationship tips. Until then, be lovable and more importantly, be likable. See you next week.